Hey, Sean, welcome to Network Capital. You don't need an introduction to what we're doing since you've seen us all from the beginning. Um, you know, you've had a really interesting journey, engineering, MBA, then loads of adventures in EdTech, and then uh, at companies like Paytm, the list goes on and on. Um, what I love to do is to uh, start by telling us about who you are and how do you like to be introduced? What's uh, your way to be introduced to the world? So I always say I'm an engineer by degree and MBA by profession and an entrepreneur by heart. So that's how I would love to get introduced. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people already know your background, but tell me about the early days. Like um, what was uh, college like um, in the in engineering school? Um, were you always inspired by starting something of your own? Um, or were you interested in diving deep into tech? What sort of an engineer were you? I was an accidental entrepreneur in college, frankly. Hmm. So, you know, uh, I went to Delhi Institute of Technology or what is called as Netaji Shabazz Institute, Institute of Technology in University of Delhi. I was studying there. Uh, this so happened that, you know, four or five, there's a group of high school friends. One of them went to IIT. One of them went to IIT Delhi. One went to IIT Bombay, IIT Kanpur. And we all just kind of got together in December for first break. And we're kind of discussing stuff like, dude, this is a downer. Like, we <laughs> thought this would be like life-changing, but it's like, okay, like what is happening, right? And one of them just said, let's do something to fix it. Like the quality of education being delivered in colleges. Hmm. And over this, you know, I still remember this vividly over this, like, I think dinner, Dick Domino's table dinner in somewhere in Delhi University area. We just said, let's just do some classes. And that really became the foundation of my first entrepreneurial venture, which was like as a student entrepreneur when I started Appin hmm. along with a few friends where we delivered offline trainings. And this is like 2004. I'm like in my third year of undergrad. We just like, none of us had business background, but we just like getting hmm. stuff together, right? Incorporating a company doing some marketing through posters. There was no like WhatsApp or Facebook. So there was very little distraction also uh, for our target audience, which was college students. But we literally just built a company there, hired a place to deliver classes, built some curriculum. And, you know, I became an entrepreneur, frankly. At In that third point. year of college. Yeah. What, was the, of college. Uh, what was the core problem that you're trying to solve and who were your target audience? Core problem was that we just... First of all, the core problems when you're a when you're a student, they are very simple, right? So the core problem was the education being given in college is just not relevant enough and practical enough. Can we solve right. for that and make our engine fellow engineering students better engineers when they graduate? Hmm. So target audience was engineering students across colleges. And uh, were you interested in giving them more technical training or life skills or a bit of both? We started with technical training mostly. So embedded hmm. systems, cybersecurity, networking, courses like those, which would just really skill them up for their first roles post-college. Yeah. That's how the company started. And you know, I always say with great fondness, I think to me what I realized was that a student coming out of a classroom was either really excited that, oh, I learned something, you know, this is great, I want to do this. Sometimes students came out saying, I don't want to do this. 
this is utterly boring or not my cup of tea and i was really excited to see both the outcomes where you are helping someone figure out what they can do next but we were also helping someone by them letting spend just few hours to figure out what they don't want to do next and i think the process of elimination is as valuable as a process of selection right so to for me it was a great outcome to see people loving it or just not liking it at all but yeah. just were in a better position to make a decision for themselves on what they do want to do next so did the company do well while you were in third year fourth year beyond company did well as student entrepreneurs i mean we all fun company did well but you know there was no definition of well at that point i mean we're talking hmm. of 2004 5 student entrepreneurship in india i mean there were no kpis way before it was you know fashionable or aspirational fashionable right like i mean, i was literally probably the first student entrepreneur in my college in like last few years at that point hmm. i had to take special permission from the principal to like skip classes and 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 do this and all of that right so um it was successful for my learning let me put it like mm. this mm-hmm. learned a lot and it kind of gave me a direction to follow and and literally after you know wrapping my work there uh i went to stanford business school for my mba as a 24 year old in 2007 so immediately after it was great yes immediately after uh, my undergrad so i was one of the younger ones in the class yeah significantly younger so do you remember a bit about applying to stanford or what, where did the idea even come from it's uh, it's always been so competitive but uh, getting in yeah. right after nsit would have been i think quite a feat i mean first of all i consider myself very privileged and lucky about it um mm-hmm. i didn't think i would crack it when i started the process but you know essentially the idea came because as i was walking out of my first startup i realized i had done some things well i also realized that i had lacked in doing a lot of things well mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur and the question was if i am to do it again in my life what kind of skills do i need to build mm-hmm. so i basically started looking at schools which help people become entrepreneurs uh, and that is where stanford was of course a top contender there and i yeah. said i can go and say contender now but stanford was top of the wish list let me put it like that course, right yeah. so i applied to a few schools um and then you know um yeah i got lucky and stanford found something compelling in my application i think one of the things was that i had written a book uh just coming out of undergrad which was on my experiences as an entrepreneur and that book had a foreword by then president actually by it had a message on the book by then president uh, lay dr abdul kalam it had a forward wow. by sabir bhartia plus few more people from india had written in the book rajinder pawar kiran majumdar shaw whom i had reached out to all of them and they had written in the book and i think that book probably added to the application so i was just fortunate that stanford found it found my application compelling enough and gave me an offer to join there in 2007 but this is incredible how did you even reach out to these people as a young student um getting an endorsement from the president and from stalwarts in the field uh what so, was the process like were you nervous were you scared when you approached them i want to go back and say that it was an uncluttered world digitally right mm-hmm. so i wish i had a great answer for you which is the like some magic process i just emailed them including mm-hmm. the president of india Hmm. and i can i can go on the more detail on the president one but like sabir bhartia emailed kiran majumdar shaw rajender pawar ashley lobo who was a dancer 
uh, Dilip mm. Cherry and the PR guru and so on and so forth. So I just like literally found their emails and emailed them, and they responded. You know, and I learned in life that you gotta ask. You can ask. You gotta you ask. Get. If you don't ask, you, you don't. You gotta ask. Uh, Correct. And some people said no. Hmm. Of, like interesting people said no also. That no, I don't want to do this. This doesn't make any sense. You know, some people said yes. I met Milan Soman uh, in Delhi, and over a car ride, I kind of recorded his interview for the book. Right. So uh, I mean, the people saying yes and people saying no, but I think it was just a fun exercise. Present story is interesting. I didn't know how to reach to president of India. Reach out to president well, of India. Nobody I mean, does. Tell us. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so, two thousand six. Writing the book, I see there is a website called as abdulkalam.com, hmm. and it finds a mention on the official website of the Rashtrapati Bhavan, hmm. which means that somebody official is managing it, right? Yeah. So. i go into the database of internet registry databases to see who owns the domain name and i was hoping to help that president kalam does not own it but somebody else does and it turned out that a gentleman by name of v ponraj owned it hmm and then i google v ponraj and it turns out that he was sort of the chief technologist and a very close confidant of president kalam working in rashtrapati bhavan in the president's house at that point i see i see his phone number was there on that internet search so i picked up the phone and called him and i said mr ponraj i saw that you own abdulkalam.com and you work very closely with dr kalam is there a way that you could pass my message on to him and if i could get some time with him to write an endorsement for us on the book He said, "Okay, I'll check." I was like, "Okay, cool." And few days later, I got a call from President House saying, "You've been invited to come to meet Dr. Kalam. Uh, bring your book, and write. Come and meet him." So, so was know. it uh, like your manuscript was ready, and you went with the manuscript? The book was yes, yes. The book was ready with the manuscript. He read some of it. We told him we were doing programs in nanotechnology and embedded systems, and this, and he was excited. And then he's like, "What can I do for you?" as a 24 year old i was never prepared for a question being asked by the president of the country <laughs> what can i do for you i was like <laughs> i don't know you can potentially do a lot of things for us <laughs> but but would you just be willing to write in the book and he took a business card of his which is basically like a card that has uh, the indian emblem embossed on it and says president of india and he wrote a message behind it and signed it and he said here is the message i said can i just write it on the book like don't have to take like permissions from someone he's like i signed it you can take it and write it wow and i That gave it to the publisher i gave it to the publisher and then he was talking i can go on the story it's my one of my favorite lifetime stories but he's telling stuff and i was always a kind of naughty student in class i would never pay hmm. attention to professors all that much Hmm. So in between, he's like, "Ishan, you're not paying attention." I'm like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I'm writing notes. I'm writing notes." So, uh, you know, my co-founder of the company, my co-author, co-founder of my first company was also there. Wrote notes at the end. He very sweetly said, "He said, would you like a photograph for the book as well?" Hmm. I was like, "Yes, <laughs> of course." But we got a camera, and the security took the camera away. So I don't have a camera with me. And those that time, the phones weren't. There was no iPhone like in the hand. Right? We had some old dinky phone. So. He's like, don't worry about that. He calls up a number, 
a door opens in his big room somebody comes in with a camera he, he tells us ishan stand here he tells to my co-founder stand here like a very professorial style like stand here both of you we all stand <laughs> photograph is taken and it is shipped to us in a few days and that photo went on the book as well one of my most like most incredible meetings in my life i can imagine and as a 24 year old this must have been you know in a way like inspiring a path defining in so many ways um yeah what did you leave the meeting thinking yeah. about yourself and your aspirations and uh, you know just your country in general humility of dr kalam when i entered the president's house there were kids running all over the building hmm like there was all these people visiting inside not like outside not like mughal gardens like inside there were like kids running all over and we were taken to this place and made to sit there and we were served some like this just simple south indian snacks uh, were served to us and then somebody came and said dr kalam is running a little late is that okay I'm like yeah that's okay <laughs> absolutely okay you know and then we went in and we talked and his room was this huge room with books all over the place in a huge library but in all of this was simplicity of this person which was just mind boggling for how much he had achieved and what he was at that point in the country i mean the first citizen of the country over time i met him twice more when i went to stanford i took a study trip to india and he was kind enough to call we again i reached out to mr pon raj who said us some time with dr kalam we went and met him there was another time i went to his house to meet mr pon raj and i knock on the door he is not the president anymore i knock on the door guess who opens the door dr kalam and the question he says asks is whom are you here to meet i'm like i'm now 27 28 i'm like he was ex president of the country he's asking he's opening the door of his house and asking me whom have i come to meet like difficult to describe those kind of just moments where you realize that how to manage humility right and i i said i'm here to meet mr ponraj i met mr ponraj dr kalam is taking a walk outside in the garden this this normally right so for me i felt those that ex- series of experience with dr kalam really made me understand humility mm. a lot and i try to whenever i'm going off track i try to go back to that experience and give myself a lesson or two yeah it's uh, it's fascinating i know you for so many years uh, um and you know hearing this story just like you know makes me just like look at your entire career in a very different way because some of the early experiences in our lives we never forget them right they are such yeah. an important uh, um message on our entire existence so to speak did yeah. it come up in your stanford interview as well the mba interview how was that like yeah i mean it was when i i sent a copy of the book and it said that it was with the president so i'm sure it came up i don't remember that exactly but yeah i'm sure the discussion president came up and it kept on coming up um and then later on as i said right at the end of first year when i got a study trip to india hmm. i mean meeting an ex president was part of the itinerary yeah so it was a solid trip uh, we went to his house with like 30 people into his house and he refused we took a couple of gifts for him and he refused to take them and he said the only gifts he takes are books we didn't have a book so i later on sent him a book uh, as a token of appreciation so you know i mean kept on coming up but you know like you're right absolutely right it's a uh, those experiences just lie somewhere deep in your memory and they 
they shape yeah. you as a person when you uh, when you applied to stanford when you were writing down your application focused on the long term goals what did yeah. you write and were you clear about what you wanted to do what problem you wanted to solve no and i think very few are in mm-hmm. fact stanford has a very famous question what matters to you most and why yeah and you know a lot of people don't talk about it but i'm happy to share it on this forum i wrote following my dreams matters to me most mm-hmm. why because it makes me feel most alive mm. and i said i don't know what my dreams will be because dreams should keep on changing as we evolve as we evolve yes so that's what i wrote so i said i don't know what the future will hold but you know there was still a question there where do you see five years from now so i just have to write it mm. i wrote i want to go to stanford and learn what could i have done better as a first time entrepreneur how could i become a better entrepreneur i want to learn that and then i want to go back to india and be part of the education sector and do something there and for the next 5 to 6 years um i wrote that and i said why do i want to do that and why is it always more important than how i said why do i want to do that because i feel that giving people access to education will be a key way to drive upward economic mobility for people so i wrote this and i'm so glad that after graduating from business school i was able to come back to india and do exactly that by starting educard and running it for 5 to 6 years so i i'm very fortunate that what i thought i would do i was actually able to do it yeah uh, over the next few years and what was what was uh, educart's thesis like and uh, how did sort of stanford and perhaps nsit and your other pre- previous experiences play into that role because look you you already already understood education to some extent and you got yeah. wonderful education so yeah. how did that shape your educard experience yeah. absolutely so i think my undergrad education was very interesting in india but then when i came to stanford i realized what is the level of education hmm. the cross functional the cross university associations the networks the access to people opportunities right just another level and i know that not i know that not everyone can get it right so like what can i do to help indians get more access to quality education hmm. and that's where the marketplace idea seemed viable to me hmm. that you know there are hundreds of programs that say for example an online mba or an mba or a certification course in digital marketing or a program in pro- project like a certification course in project management how do you choose how do you compare them how do you contrast them how do you know which one is credentialed versus not yeah what is the rating nobody was doing that kind of marketplace that's what the hypothesis was that if you provide this information very clearly then people will be able to make the right kind of choice and from a business model point of view you you drive enrollment right there and then you can make part of the fees as your commission and build a business i mean in a simple way if you think of it it's like you know i think the closest comparison i think of is like policy bazaar yeah where you choose a very important insurance it's a thought through decision it's not like buying a shirt or a you know or a mobile phone cover it's a thought through decision and it's you want to take one or two not more than that right you want to take one life insurance one health yeah. insurance and so on and so forth right mostly similarly in education you're going to do one mba it's not like you're going to enroll for an mba program and say oh i don't like it i'm going to do another because you're not just putting in your money but you're putting in your time and time is way more valuable right. so 
I think so. Essentially, it was that was the gist of it. That can you find, can you help a student find the right program that will suffice their aspirations and help them move forward? So that's how Educat came into existence. And did it come into existence as an idea while you were an MBA student, or after you came back to India and thought about it? And like, what was the first hundred days like? I love your intuition of asking questions. I mean, like these are the things you have never talked about, and you're kind of you know your questions coming out are very interesting <laughs> um, so yes uh, you know that's what i think is incredible about communities like the business school community uh, at stanford there was a class which was called as entrepreneurship and venture capital hmm. that class was taken by eric schmidt who was then the ceo of google along with peter wendel managing partner in of sierra ventures the prestigious vc firm in the us the assignment of that class was to create a business plan. That was the project. So the whole classes were geared towards just incredibly fun to, to study from Eric Schmidt for like a quarter. Every week he would fly, like he would come in and you know the class. This is also the time when he was serving as a technology advisor to Obama, who was right. coming up as a prime president of the country at that point. So he was like this busy shuttling between San Francisco and Washington, but he would always come for the classes, which is just incredible, the commitment. So as part of this, I was I was matched with a Filipino classmate of mine, a Peruvian classmate of mine, and an American classmate of mine. So four of us are in this group. And they're like, what should we do? And again, a humbling moment was when everybody said, Ishan, listen, you are most passionate among all of us to, you have the highest chance of becoming an entrepreneur the first after mm -hmm. business school among all of us. I said, fair enough. And they said, therefore, we collectively decided that we would want to together work on a plan that you are thinking so that we can all help you mm -hmm. in getting to that goal. And I was like, wow, that's like incredible that I just got support of like a top-notch consultant from his past life, a banker, like an entrepreneur all together helping me. Like if I put a dollar value to it, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars that they're going to yeah. spend like, from their time. So they actually all came together and we made a first model of Educat. It wasn't like Educat, it was something else, but that time spent in the class became the foundation block of the business model and the investment thesis and the deck and all that came later on when I came to India. I started mm -hmm. this a year and a half later. But yes, so the roots can be traced back to, to Stanford completely. Well, yeah. So you're right. People are not able to make that connect all that often. <laughs> uh, tell me, Shan, um... Uh, MBA at a top school is actually quite a financial investment as well. Um, yeah. uh, did Were you nervous starting up right after maybe not going in for the regular job, paying off the yeah. debt, or, yeah. or uh, were you thinking of another route? No, absolutely. I come from a middle-class family. My parents have done well for themselves, but that doesn't mean that there is wealth enough to just make an MBA program. I think, and I had not had any like formal work experience where I had savings with me. So mm -hmm. it was tricky, but two things, right? The beauty of a top notch program is that they actually make decisions independent of your financial status, right? It's mm -hmm. financially blind decisions. Mm -hmm. And they say, if we select you and you accept, we'll collectively figure out how you're going to pay for it. Yeah. So a combination of scholarships, aids, loans and everything. Right. So once I got selected, they sent me saying, listen, here is the form, I'm going to fill it. What is your net worth today? Which is like nothing. 
And and I didn't want to ask parents for money, right? I mean, I didn't need to, and I didn't want to, frankly, right? I wanted to do this without. So yeah, they put in a little bit, but I was like, listen, this is what I have. They came back with a financial aid package of fellowship, some loans and all of that in the US without any collaterals. I know all schools don't do it. I don't know what it is now, but all schools don't do it. I got a loan at like 3% annum mm-hmm. rate, thanks to Stanford and its relationships. And <clears throat> I took that and then, you know, every six, I was used to joke, every quarter money would just come into my account from that loan and that fellowship. So I never paid from home. Of course, I came out with a big student debt. And then, mm-hmm. But I also realized that I don't need to pay it at once. I don't need to be in this anxiety that I need to pay it every day. It took me, it took me 12 years to pay it. Mm-hmm. And I literally closed it last year after coming to US. Uh, but you know what? When people would ask me, is it worth that investment? I would say, listen, some people end up buying, like if I talk from an Indian mindset, some people end up buying a property as an investment asset. Yeah. Some people end up investing in shares. I think investing in your own education. Now we can keep the whole argument of student debt aside. You know, for course, now, but like yeah. investing in your own education is just like buying a property. It will give you returns throughout your life. And it continues to give me returns uh, throughout my life. Right? I can't even tell you how many times it has kicked in to give me returns. Financial, yeah. network, support, whatever, everything, relationships, friendships, right? So to me, that was an investment, well-made. Just like any other investment, I had to pay monthly for it, but it was yeah. fine. Was it anxiety? Even a little bit, yes. But I always tell people that go do it. Like come to a place where you have an offer, offer from a business school or whichever you want to, whatever you want to do. And then you can figure out how to solve for it. Don't solve for the finance problem upfront without having the right yeah. offer in your hand. The clarity is so important. And, you know, just like network is uh, really important and it comes up over and over, over again. Uh, I don't know if I told you this. I met one of your classmates in Davos a few years back on a completely random evening. Who was that? Uh, I think Mark Thiel uh, is, is his name. He's a senior partner or something at McKinsey. And uh, I don't know how you came up in that conversation, but you did. And then, you know, hey, I know that guy. I went to uh, school with him. And, uh, you know, it's I'm constantly amazed by how small uh, the world is. And uh, I asked him, are you like anywhere related to Peter Thiel? I said, I wish I'm not, but uh, I am German. And, you know, it's just like it was an evening. So you met Alexander and- Thiel. You Alexander, met Alexander Thiel, Thiel. Yes. Thiel. Yeah, yeah. Great guy. I just, you know what? I just talked to him like two weeks back and we just had a quick <laughs> conversation, right? And we hadn't talked in a decade, but like, yeah, I mean, that makes me feel very warm that Alex came. Great guy. A partner is in Germany, yeah. he's a partner at McKenzie, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just, I can, I mean, and we met, what, two winters back, like, you know, before the world yeah. shut down. I can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's, so, and, that's just the beauty of that network. Yeah, it's always like, you know, intersection of uh, interesting people doing interesting things. Uh, yeah. I find it fascinating. So, uh, Ishan, like, you know, you're doing uh, all of this. Educart does have a uh, have a you know long run by any standard like five six years yeah. does yeah. well um, and it also has like what what you call financially um, good ending I would imagine I'm, I'm I'm obviously not sure of the numbers but were you satisfied with the way things concluded and when did you decide to sort of move on to the next adventure? Yeah, so actually to be honest, uh, it was actually hired by Paytm, hmm. so you know it wasn't the numbers. Uh, 
frankly, it wasn't an outcome like a typical success outcome. I look at it as an outcome where I learned a lot. The team learned mm-hmm. a lot. It was 40, 50 mm-hmm. people team. And, you know, one, we had raised some money. So to be honest, I think the product market fit came very late for us. That's on mm-hmm. me as an entrepreneur. I you were slightly early like, in the market. Uh, in this Early project. in the market. And, you know, the model evolved over time. I mean, it's always easy to tell a story looking back and connecting the dots. Mm. But I mean, to be honest, the product market fit took time. And, I mean, the ecosystem of angel investing and venture capital was still evolving. And in some ways, you know, we kind of got lost in that time, you know, and diluted a lot and all of that happened. And at some point, I realized that whatever we are raising and the way we need to build it, like, Suboptimal raise will not be helpful in that business. Hmm. And these are best years of my working life and the team, and I need to be very respectful of that. It is important for entrepreneurs to know when to stop hmm. also. Yeah. And I had my moment of knowing, like, this is the time to stop. So I called up Vijay Shekhar Sharma, who had always been a mentor for me. I mean, no How did you know him from what, DC, SIT? Also, because I had worked at Paytm before. I, oh, I see. When I came to India, so I had worked at him, with him, and I... Again, I got introduced to him because a professor of mine at Stanford went hmm. to DC with him. Hmm. And one day when I was telling the professor, hey, I want to go to India, home should I work with? He's like, oh, Vijay is a great guy to work with. I'm like, who's Vijay? He said, go talk to him. So anyways, so Vijay, Vijay was one of my first investor at Educa. Who was this was professor? His name is uh, Professor Siddharth Narayan. Narayanan. Okay. Uh, he was in DC, he was a DC alum, and then he was at, he was teaching a course, which, and the joke was, I didn't do very well in his program. So when he's like, <laughs> I'm going to introduce, so he's like, oh, I'll introduce you to Vijay. I'm like, Professor Sridhar, sorry, not Sridhar, say Sridhar Narayanan. I'm like, Sridhar, I, I haven't been doing really well in your class. Are you sure you're going to introduce me? And you know what he said? Again, a learning moment. He said, Ishan, how you, how much time you pay attention in my class and how you do has nothing to do with the rest of you. Phenomenal. That's the choice you are making in the class of how mm. much you want to invest in it. I'm not going to judge you either ways by that. Yeah. It was an incredible learning. Mm. You think of it, it's very deep. Like we end up judging people in, in one facet versus thinking of a complete picture of theirs right so i was like great and then he introduced me to vijay and i talked to vijay and you know it was fun and that's a long story i can go into it but coming back um vijay was the first investor continuously supported us he was on the board of educa and then at one point in 2016 i reached out to him saying vijay we're not able to raise the right kind of round uh it's a great team he said i know your team he said why don't we just get the team over now, Paytm, from the time I left it in my first year, 2011 to 2016, had gone on from a half a billion dollar valued company to this 10 billion or like a Decacon. Decacon, with, yeah. With, with, yeah, with, uh, with uh, Alibaba and SoftBank already being investors, right? And, and things are happening. So he's like, just bring mm-hmm. your team over. I said, why? He said, we're starting an education practice for FinTech, for the wallet. You know, you have a strong team. So the team got actually hired. Hmm. And I think many of those people are still there doing really well across Paytm. Their product managers, their senior leaders in education field, others doing really well. And that was great to give the team a landing into a bigger company. This is also the time when startups in India were getting really bashed up about 
entrepreneurs are shutting down companies or whatever, and they're not thinking about their employees or just laying off people and all of that, right? So to me, it was yeah. very important that this group of people who have done such incredible work with me, they need to be placed in the right place. And then I also got a great role at Paytm. You know, Vijay said, Ishan, there are a lot of problems and challenges to look at. Find one for yourself and and do it, right? So that was my re-entry into Paytm in some ways. In 2016. In 2016. And the team went in. And it was great. And this was the time when demonetization happened. A few yeah. months after we all went in. So I'm going to actually use Evergreen as an example now, right? Like literally the same visual. Here is a ship going, large ship called Paytm going in a certain direction. Hmm. And boom comes demonetization. And next morning is an opportunity of lifetime for Paytm. Incredible to see how Vijay maneuvered this huge ship around without it getting stuck in the canal and taking it to seize on that opportunity, including a very famous ad that came in next morning in the newspaper saying yeah. news page. All newspaper. I mean, it was incredible, right? Front page. And I was part of that, seeing it. Just seeing how an entrepreneur was literally taking, it's a Paytm is a huge ship, but literally making whole of Paytm into a merchant acquisition engine overnight. Everybody was acquiring merchants. I went to my parents and I'm like, you are doctors. How will you take money from your patients tomorrow? I'm going to get you a Paytm QR code. Hmm. So I go to office, print the code, put it on their chambers. Like literally everybody was acquiring. I go to Natsu Suites in Delhi, their friends. And I'm like, how will you people pay you for Mithai? Like hmm. you got to pay, right? Like literally everybody was an acquisition. Uh, and so all of that happened. For me personally, that is a time when I got a ping from Udacity saying, we're looking for a managing director for India. Hmm. So I left in 2016 and, but it was the most exciting nine, 10 months that I spent second single period that I spent. And incredible learning lessons to see how do you immediately change the focus of a company at scale? This is not a 10 people startup. This is at scale of thousands of people and, and make the focus when an opportunity like this comes to you once in a lifetime. So it was great to yeah. see that. That must have been phenomenal learning experience. And uh, Vijay is obviously a bundle of energy and insights. And oh, like, of course. He's done incredible stuff. I've heard you previously talk very fondly of your yeah. time with Vijay. Could you dive yeah. deep into uh, a couple of things? One is that a lot of our listeners now with the summer school are school students. So they may not understand what is an acqui-hire. Could you explain that a bit? And second sure. would be, sure. um, this is also a question for a college and school student. How would you explain uh, the key lessons of working with Vijay like? What, what is the an importance of a relatable mentor? What was the role of Vijay's uh, guidance perhaps in your own professional journey? Sure. So to your first question, what is an acqui-hire? An acqui-hire is when you acquire a team for what all they can do versus really acquiring the whole business. So what is valuable is the team in the acquirer's mindset more than the business. If you think mm -hmm. of it, Paytm wasn't building an education marketplace. They didn't need the platform. They were building an education payment business for which they needed people who could enroll lot of colleges and institutions on Paytm platform. Now, you'd ask, yeah. now Educard was doing relationships with universities. So I had people who knew how to do it and engineers and all of that. So, so Paytm essentially took this team and gave them offers and made them part of the Paytm business and they became Paytm employees. 
So in some ways, Educa team merged into Baytm. That's what is an acquire acquisition for the talent of the team. So there were all these stock options and team options. So that uh, the second question is, sorry, it's, what are my lessons from Vijay? Lessons that, from Vijay. You know, one thing we constantly keep emphasizing on network capital is that build a tribe of mentors and relatable mentors have a huge role to play, but you can't normally go and ask people, kid, will you be my mentor? Will you be my mentor? You have to sort of do work together, develop shared, shared context. But to enunciate that point, I often ask people we host on network capital masterclasses to tell them, you know, who've been some mentors who really shaped their thinking. In yeah. your case, it yeah. seems like uh, Vijay Completely. is somebody you've interfaced with a lot. So maybe what lessons have you gleaned? I mean, we can have another full session on that. Like I can keep on talking <laughs> sure. about that for yeah. hours. Uh, overall, I worked at Paytm for almost uh, 18 months, first stint, nine months, second stint, 27 months. Plus, I've seen Vijay closely. Uh, as he grew from founder of 197, a company, Series B, Series B company, to the Paytm of today. Uh, I actually, interestingly, I actually wrote a Article. I I penned down an article in, in I think in a, in a newspaper around find a mentor for yourself and I talked about my relationship with Vijay and I'm happy to share that with the larger group as well. It's available. Yeah, online. we'll put it uh, on uh, show notes for this particular yeah, session. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think a lot of things. First of it was context resetting is one mm. thing I learned. Right. I mean, a, a person like that is going from meeting to meeting with context switching, 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 switching. Mm. You can't carry your moods inside because not every meeting is great. Somewhere you're pushing yeah. people, somewhere you're listening, somewhere it's hard conversation, somewhere fun conversation. I would just look at Vijay and I, I would ask him, how do you manage that? And he would just say, reset, Ishan, reset, do whatever it takes. But you got to reset, you got to reset between the two meetings. Right? So I've tried mm -hmm. to take that very, very deeply with me because as leaders, that's what the role becomes. You continuously go from meeting to meeting and people are looking up to you for either decisions or helping them or brainstorming with them or whatever. You need to be very clear what each meeting is about. Mm. Otherwise, you single-handedly have the power to destroy every meeting and the company mm. culture, therefore. So right. I think to me, that was a big lesson that I learned uh, from Vijay at a very at a very personal mentor, mentee level, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You can see that lesson. You can only learn that lesson when you are seeing someone inside a room. Yeah. Not from outside. When you see them working, taking decisions, you know, reacting to people in a certain way. Yep. Totally. Yeah, completely. Second, uh, dream big, even if you are the underdog. Because mm -hmm. underdogs really have a chance to win because they're in the race and there is less focus on them. Paytm is not an overnight success by any means. 197 as a company had been already been in existence for almost seven to eight years when I joined it in 2009 as, mm -hmm. one nine, as 197 Communications Limited, the parent company of Paytm. The Paytm brand itself came into existence somewhere around that time, seven, mm -hmm. eight years after the company had been formed. Already been 10 years plus since then. Yeah. And it is still growing. 12 years. Uh, Warren Buffett did not invest on day one. Neither did SoftBank, neither did Jack Ma, neither did Staff, right? They all came at different points in time. Today, if you look at it, it looks like an incredible journey. And it almost feels like an overnight journey. No, there were many, many ups and downs. How 
do you make sure that you can survive in those ups and downs i think one of the key ways is by thinking big and realizing mm. that even if you are an underdog it doesn't matter because you must leverage being an underdog if you are an underdog you have the element of surprising people with performance with grit with determination and then really going for the kill yeah and i think that is something that i honestly feel that vijay has done very well and he always used to tell me that if i'm underdog under never count underdogs out mm. right they are the ones who actually make the change phenomenal i think that's the second learning i can again as i said i can talk for hours but like i think so to me those are the top yeah oh just i will say one more thing he is incredibly generous with this close group of people incredibly generous he's such a kind hearted soul there believer in entrepreneurship and ecosystem at one point he would tell me shan i don't know how many angel investments i have made i have no track of that <laughs> because he just believed in people i mean i got my first check I was sitting with him and Vijay, I'm starting to, I'm thinking of doing this education thing, and I would love for you to be my first investor. He calls up his accountant and says, "Can you bring the checkbook?" He signs the check and gives it to me. I'm like, "What about the plan?" He's like, "You can tell that to me later, but here's your check." You yeah. know, and I'm not the only one who can tell this story. There are a lot of people I know who can tell this story about Vijay in a similar manner. So yeah. I think he's just incredibly generous with, not even money, just you know, there's a kind-heartedness and generosity about him that is there. I, I love this example, um, and it just talks about the power of meaningful relationships. And when you believe in somebody, you 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 do what it takes to you know yeah. lift them up with you. So uh, Ishan, you're clearly doing well. You have a strong relationship with uh, the founders. You're doing work at a time when the country, the industry, is uh, evolving. Why leave? Uh, because it seems like you were in the startup term on a rocket ship. Why? Why leave what? Why leave Paytm and go to take their other edtech call that you got? You know, it was interesting. Uh, I got connected through a friend with Udacity, but I already knew the CEO of Udacity for a few years because I was running a marketplace in India, right? So I used to talk to all of the global edtechs also. At one point, I'm talking. I'm the front-running candidate, but I don't want to do edtech anymore. I'm at fintech. I'm at Paytm. Demonetization has happened. It's a rocket ship. That's a huge rocket ship. It's not like yeah. a tiny thing, right? I mean, I mean, I think Evergreen is a better example, like to visualize it. The ship just going, 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 right, and taking everyone along. Right. And <laughs> I'm talking to the CEO of Udacity, and he's like, "Ishan, why don't you want to do this? The new MD role?" I'm like, "You're gonna be in the Bay Area playing golf. When will I get time to even talk to you? This is gonna be very frustrating. I've never seen a happy country manager." <laughs> and he's like you this is the kind of guy i want somebody who's going to be entrepreneurial so here i am acting like a petulant child trying to say no and he is not listening at some point and i joke with him now a lot about this at some point he's telling me didn't you have a dream to upskill indians i said yes he said was the dream fulfilled i said no he said then i'm offering you a chance to finish your dream why aren't mm. you taking this i'm like are you trying to hire me But are you just getting upset with me? Right? Literally, we are having this conversation, and I joke with him. And I ran out of ideas to say no to him. And finally, <laughs> my biggest problem was, who's gonna go and tell Vijay that I'm leaving the next time? Of course, yeah. when I went to Vijay, he was very gracious about it. You know, uh, but like I, you know, I think Udacity was doing incredible, a great model for India, a services-driven model. So you know, it was an opportunity of a lifetime that I didn't want to miss. 
uh, frankly. And I finally stepped back and said, fintech in India, companies like Paytm and many others, abundance of talent coming from everywhere, doing great work. EdTech in India, 2016, 17, still suboptimal. I thought I could do a lot more and like be and feel more impact as someone driving Udacity in India than I could have ever done at Paytm. Because in Paytm, there was still a lot of leaders, right? So for me, it was also about just how much impact can I drive in an absolute sense? Yeah. Uh, and I felt I could do a lot more at Udacity. So that was my reason of moving off. Yeah. And it's important, right? Sometimes even when you're doing well in a rocket ship, sometimes you have to ask yourself, can I have a higher per capita impact somewhere else? Uh, is there, can this pie be grown? So, and plus exactly. is exactly. definitely an underexplored sector. I feel even today. So I, uh, no, I was just saying I ended up growing the business by almost yeah. 300%. That I grew that business by 300%, built a 50 people team, strong team, you know, repositioned Udacity as a thought leader in the lifelong learning space in India. I mean, you and I met, we had sessions, you had to build a Yeah, we hosted in your office uh, at Udacity uh, a bunch of our EdTech discussions. Yeah. You participated in some. In fact, many people who came for those meetups are actually now running uh, really well-funded EdTech companies. So you definitely have had a meaningful role in the, in the space. I noticed the way you were nurturing the team and the way you were building it out. There was a lot of positive energy that could yeah. that was uh, brimming out of there. What were the challenges that you experienced uh, scaling Udacity in India? Things worked well, but like, what did it teach you about India, sure. the country, and edtech, the industry? So I think there are challenges at different level. First of all, if you are a, a GM or a managing director for a for a region, you have to really, really ensure that you are helping the global office to understand the challenges, hmm. right? Yeah. Like that's a big role for in my shoes, right? I'm responsible for the team and for being their representative to the headquarters, right? I think that people underestimate that at times. I think that's one of the biggest responsibilities of a country head uh, hmm. for any fast growing business. That's one challenge. You just have to deal with it and you have to do it in the right manner, data-driven manner. I think, from a business perspective, of course, you know, credentialing, credibility of the business, does it deliver, hmm. deliver outcomes or not? Does it give, get you jobs or not? Those were the kind of challenges. Plus, Udacity had been just branded as a MOOC provider. And company had moved away from MOOCs. Yeah. And it completely reformed itself. So, right, like really reestablishing the positioning was a big challenge. It took me almost a year plus participation in conferences, like thought leadership, PR management, and all of that to reestablish it as a lifelong learning player yeah. in the space. I think that was a big challenge. So, I mean, the tip, otherwise, there are the typical network challenges. I mean, customer acquisition, delivery. What I learned for myself was student, when a student pays for a program, mm-hmm. he or she is actually committing time for the program. Yeah. Value the time and do everything to make that time efficient for the student. That's a phenomenal insight. Uh, the time is of If you think essence. of that, yeah, yeah. If you think of that, you can really deliver student outcomes. Absolutely. People think of money. Think of time. I mean, I think this is the uh, insight that a lot of edtech founders should keep in mind. But then your your tenure in India was successful, but not too long, because then you were asked to come join the global headquarters. What was uh, what were yeah. you thinking? Uh, behind that and why did you agree with that decision? Yeah, so uh, 
two things happened. We wanted to centralize the businesses because we also realized that, you know, instead of having regional businesses, we can combine that in one and drive more efficiency financially. Mm. And, you know, I got a call from the founder saying, listen, I want you to manage global student operations. I asked why. He said, the India results have been really good on student outcomes and we need someone to really drive scale and efficiency there. I said, sure. How difficult can it be? Well, I was wrong. I've always been very fortunate to have strong operational leaders supporting me, whether it was EduCard or PDM or Dasty. I think this role of switching on the back end and looking at operations really helped me to build my understanding of education better than ever before, where I was like, this is not just about acquiring students or business or branding or marketing and credibility. Student outcome. And how do you do that? I don't think anybody in the world knows. I am very, very, when people come and tell me, we know how to drive student engagement. I can write a book today on what not to do. If you ask me what to do, I probably can't even write a page. Because it's just so incredibly difficult to drive student engagement. Right. Depending on the scale and wherever you are. Right? I mean, you know this better than most people. You're building a community, right? Like it's just difficult yeah. to drive engagement, right? And but sustain got, that engagement as well. And sustain yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Drive and sustain. I got a front row seat of that experimentation for two years. And I had to move here because to, to US because my work was with the senior leadership here. There's a lot of work happening from here. And otherwise my life was going just upside down sitting in India and doing this role. So I moved here mm -hmm. and took that opportunity, which is incredible. Loved yeah. it. I think from being an entrepreneur in education to being a country leader, mm -hmm. to being an operational guy, I think that yeah. really completed my journey as an ed tech professional in many years. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I think uh, we haven't discussed one important aspect of uh, your life uh, in this wide-ranging conversation, which is family life. So you're a young father, uh, a husband, uh, you know, um, son, and so many other things. How, how has the family taken it? And what do you tell your kid about at tech and just general careers in life, and et cetera? Yeah, that's a great question. He's three years old. So... He's just turning three, so not been able to get a, a lot, but I'll tell you a few things. I mean, first of all, you cannot do it without a spouse, supporting spouse. Mm -hmm. It's just not possible. I was very fortunate to marry uh, my closest friend, my best friend. I dated, I dated one girl for 10 years and then married her. We've been married for more than 10 years. We've known each other for more part of our life than not. So mm -hmm. she knows me better than anybody else. Uh, she knows what I'm feeling before I do. Um, and that's incredible for me. And she'll know when I'm feeling good, when I'm feeling bad, when I need a change, when I don't and all that. Uh, so, you know, can't be done without supporting a spouse. But it also means you have to be very respectful of that and you can't <laughs> take, you know, advantage of that. So I think I've been bad at life, work-life balance over the years and she's been incredibly supportive. But over the years, as I went from a 20 to 30s, I started realizing the need of blocking away time. So now I try doing that. She would always tell me, Sean, if you can't do it in nine hours, ten, eight, nine hours, then you're doing something wrong. Mm. You should not be expecting yourself and your team to be working 12 hours a day. Right. Fundamentally, <clears throat> there's something missing in your leadership and the way you're setting priorities. She's like, you're right. I didn't understand that in my 20s. She has been giving me this advice for years. I understood it in my 30s. But I now try to block off some time, which is just dedicated to the family. Sometimes they do a good job, sometimes not, but like really mm. trying hard on that. Uh, she's supportive. We try weekends off. 
we'll try and not just for myself for the team team is the same right team is also yeah. the, the person on the other side is also a father or a mother and a parent child parent whatever right so so trying doing that and you have to do it from top down i can't ask people to take holidays and then not take myself it just doesn't set the right signal right i'm going to take a holiday it took me 3 years to tell my india team to take holidays at new year this year finally i did ask they were like oh we are going on a holiday you are also everybody was off for a few days and mm. i was so happy that <clears throat> they could all think of taking off and just doing whatever they want to do right so i think that's important on the family side just taking time off and break and managing it on a daily basis and it has to be done daily uh to my son he's young he's still 3 very i think he's smart i may be biased i think he's a sharp cookie he asks a lot of questions one of our values as parents is to make him intellectually curious Hmm. He sits with me in meetings many times. He'll just poke around the screen, but he'll ask me, "How are your colleagues doing?" Like he knows their names. He'll ask questions, and sometimes I'll just tell him that, "Listen, I'm having this thing, that thing." I just listen. I don't know how much he understands, but I've also believed, talk to your child, you know, just like you talk to anyone else. Like you don't, I don't have to make all these baby noises and talk to him. And now he's a three-year-old, yeah. and I'll actually tell him that, you know, today I did this. With Utkarsh, maybe I should call you uncle. I'm, I don't think so. Just I did this with Utkarsh, and you know we made a video, and he should see it. And then later on, he'll come and see me like Papa, and he'll talk something. I think all of that will add up, hopefully. Right? Yeah. So I, my favorite joke is when he, the day he was born, I was telling him LTV, lifetime value. <laughs> so just, I was held him in my arms. We're walking outside the in the hospital corridor. I was at Udasti, India. Uh, it was like. It was the start of the new quarter. It was April, so it was the start of a new quarter and a financial year. Uh, that was on my mind, so I'm just telling him like, "Ayan, you know, there's something called as LTV lifetime value of customer, and that's where my and his journey started." <laughs> as son, wow! Duo. So that is incredible. Hopefully, hopefully, but you know, he'll make his own choices. If we can just instill the right values in him, the yeah. rest is his and the right curiosity. Follow. Right, curiosity, curiosity more than anything else for sure yeah i think follow your passion is sometimes misinterpreted what people really mean is or should be i think is follow your curiosity because passion change dreams change curiosity is like that unbridled truth which right. i think it seems to me that you've been following all through your career and, uh, and he's very curious and well, very curious yeah, yeah. very well curious. Uh, Love it. look forward to having you back uh and hopefully in some time hosting your son as well as a young prodigy doing really interesting things uh, following I his curiosity sometimes i wish that he's just he doesn't turn out to be that and he's just living a simple life and like you know being curious and just soaking it all in there's so much happening wherever curiosity takes him yeah, exactly his yeah. his default is a self driving car today <laughs> automated vacuum cleaner at home right i i just love what the baseline is and I mean, I know I'm very privileged when I say that, but like, he will learn from there on. He will be living in a different world, right? So I'm, I'm really excited to your point of where does this curiosity take him? I'm really yeah. excited to see yeah. that. Yeah. Well, great. This was uh, fascinating, Ishan. Uh, look forward to having you back with us soon. And uh, thank you for all that you do and all that you've done for the entire ecosystem. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Utkarsh. Thanks for having me here. And uh, as always, you know, all my. wishes for net capital to continuously grow and being meaningful for so many people so thank you